the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Third and final hour, Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. We're spending a little more time with Scott Balderman, candidate running for re-election in Denver Public Schools. And we had a fascinating hour talking about school safety and discipline. We talked about... uh, Uh, issues of transparency and executive sessions in the school district and also a bit on academics and school choice. And I want to just continue for another couple minutes for those who missed the hour and the the conversation we were just having. I want to set the scene again uh, in regards to this issue of school choice, um, because we have a a strong disagreement on this, uh, but we're talking it out, which you don't normally have that kind of conversation, uh, which which I appreciate. Um, your view, for folks who are just tuning in at the top of the hour, Scott Balderman, again, on the school board running for re-election in Denver, um, we'll restate your view on choice in DPS. Yeah. I support a parent guardian selecting the school that is best for their child. That that There's no problem with that. What school choice to me, though, is the competitive market-driven ideologies of treating schools more like businesses than actual centers of community and thinking more proactively. So it's it's more of a reactive school choice is about closing schools that are not performing, replicating ones that are performing. But to me, I think it, schools are more than that and should not be subjected to market forces. I certainly agree that schools are more than that, um, which is why I'm an advocate for traditional neighborhood schools. Um, and have been and for paying teachers more in some districts. Um, I'm a big advocate, for example, Douglas County. Uh, I haven't spoken about this yet too much, but I'm a big supporter of the bond and MLO that they have because they are paying their teachers way too low and they need to be able to to finance higher teacher pay as they're pushing for in that district. But at the same time, I definitely have this view where I don't think market forces in education are a bad thing. I think they add some good things to it in the sense that if you are a parent being able to make a decision as to the best interest of your child, where to send them to school, that inherently implies the ability to look at different schools and decide, compare. Not necessarily look from a competitive standpoint. As a parent, you're not looking, hey, how are they competing with each other? It's what are the outcomes and what are also maybe the services that are provided from are they more equipped for special needs for example are they more equipped with after school programs that might be unique or do they meet a certain niche that's one of the things that can come from a lot of the um, charters and innovation schools and so forth where they may cover particular niches and to me that means inherently that you are going to have some of those what you call market forces at play because the parents are making a decision, making a comparison before that decision. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. Market, at the end, of, I, I worry that the market forces are going to leave certain students behind. The, the students that don't have highly motivated parents. Uh, maybe a student is experiencing poverty. 
experiencing some trauma or their family is. They don't have access to a car. Their their parents are working two jobs. And their only option is to go to their neighborhood school. And this leads to transportation concerns as well. That's where I feel the district, the school district approach is for the school district to really look at the the needs of the kids that are in that school and fund the school appropriately. That should be priority number one. That's not how DPS functions. DPS has what I said earlier, what's called student-based budgeting, where the money follows follows a child. I'll give a perfect example. When we were having our discussions around school closures, we closed three schools last year or earlier this year. Fairview Elementary School, they were around 215 kids. They were so underfunded and so under-resourced, yet we I'll hear people call our funding model equitable, yet the students at Fairview Elementary School were having the bare minimum number of electives, yet a school that is had more resources, more more money coming in the door because they had higher enrollment, they had anywhere from five, six, seven electives. To me, that's not okay, especially when we're it's a, in many ways, we're intentionally underfunding our schools that need the most support. We, we have to get away from that idea. To me, we got to fund from the district level, look at the school, look at the needs of the kids, fund that first, and then go from there. When you look at the neighborhood schools and, and in terms of, okay, if you have kids that are going to other schools and not focusing, the idea of not focusing as much on the neighborhood schools, uh, I would think that there are ways that you as a school district can make decisions, even within student-based budgeting, to determine, add an additional piece to say, okay, this particular school needs additional resources. Or maybe it is that because they don't have sufficient enrollment, it makes sense to roll them into another school, sort out the transportation issues, and that other school will be more resourced and have more students there. Because we do see there are different situations where you have an area that was more populated with kids at one point, and now there are fewer because another area of the city has more students of uh, uh, kids of school age. And so that means you're going to have more people going in that area of, of the district. Um, so that's something you always have to, to, to juggle and add to. But to me, you're making the case more than anything for improving how neighborhood schools are performing and not – negating the value of a parent being able to have some funding support for sending their kid to a charter school because they are Denver parents. So why shouldn't they have Denver taxpayer resources that they may be, if their property owner is paying into, um, go to, to follow their kid? Oh, I mean, as of right now, yes. that is what, yeah. Okay, you're confirming that we are, the money, our tax dollars do go Not to charter schools. Not necessarily in the same amount as individual neighborhood schools, but they do at least have money that will go for sure from the from the district. I'm more set, talking about the the philosophical should you do this or not. Right, right. I you know, like I said earlier that yeah we to me this all stems. I thought we were going to go. I, I, we were going to go into conversation about uh, school closure mm-hmm. because really that to me is how we fix a lot of our under resourced schools. Uh, our our meeting last Thursday. We our CFO commented that we're we have about fifteen too many schools. We've known that for a while, and that is the biggest drain on our budget right now. 
uh, I'm a I'm a proponent of merging and thoughtfully merging and consolidating our schools with our the neighborhoods with the communities. What I'm not in favor of is closing our schools based on are their test scores too low? Are they is there not enough enrollment there? Because there's so many things that drive that, and one of them is how we fund schools. As you can imagine, if we are not with through our stu- student based budgeting and schools like Fairview that were that are now closed when there's not enough money in there, how are they ever going to recruit more kids to come back with less resources? Well, but but it's also the case that, and uh, I, first of all, I agree in terms of, of school closures. Like that is looking at it from a financial standpoint and from the standpoint of are we best serving the students that are going to these schools and what can we do in that regard? But when it comes to the school performance, maybe you don't want to factor that. I can understand that not being a deciding factor for the school district, but it certainly may be a deciding factor for a parent who's like, this school is not performing and meeting the needs of my child, so I want to take them to another school, and especially if they're low income. I was looking here at the uh, data from performance, low-income students performing worse in Denver as far as grade-level expectations in the CMAS um, than kids in poverty statewide. And so why shouldn't, if they can find out how to do the transportation issues, which as we talked about and listener texted in too, transportation is a challenge, why can't they make that decision, okay, I am low income, I want to give my child a chance at another school because this one is not meeting their needs, and I can afford it on my own accord, so thank you, DPS, for providing at least some resources so my kid can go. Right. No, I, I'm okay with that. I think it, maybe to a charter school. Do charter school. I, I'm okay. Parents, I'm okay with parents choosing what's best for their child. From a school board member's perspective, though, my role and my responsibility and the district's responsibility is to make sure that we're funding those schools to, so those kids are successful. I strongly believe if we get away from student-based budgeting and truly fund our schools, because mm. our, our most under-enrolled schools tend to serve our most vulnerable populations, Sure, we should be funding those at a higher rate, at a higher priority, mm. that is what's going to lift up performance once we get those resources into those schools. But right now, student-based budgeting is really under, under-resourcing under those schools, and we're getting the results we are from that. Scott Balderman joining us in studio, sticking around a little longer here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. He's on the DPS board. He's running for re-election. Um, I, I want to talk shift gears. And talk for a moment as I lead into your candidacy a little more uh, about the board itself. And I don't want to talk about any particular individuals because the whole group has been, by me and others, labeled as dysfunctional. And there has been clear dysfunctional dynamics on the school board. Um, How do you, as a school board member, for almost a full term of four years, how do you view your own institution of the school board now four years in relative to, say, the label of dysfunction. Right. I would not personally label this board dysfunctional. I'll give a different definition. But I want to talk about when I first came on the board. When I first came on the board, that felt dysfunctional for me as from a policy and governance perspective. We had no bylaws. The Denver 2020 strategic plan just expired and then to add to the to the chaos, we had we were dealing with COVID, and within three months of my starting my term, we were closing schools and a superintendent. Yeah, by the end of leaving. the school year. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And and by not having a framework in place, 
it was re- it took me when when our su- superintendent Cordova resigned. That is the moment where it's like this is this is not what I expected it to be, and and just doing more research on governance came across John Carver's governance policy governance model. I dedicated most of 2021 focusing on that. And the board, we came together, and this was all happening alongside the superintendent search. We spent nine months voting, it, working with Colorado Association of School Boards and implementing 40 policies to get us into a actual governance framework. And so now we have uh, uh, bylaws, they're called governance process. We have contractual uh, agreements with our superintendent. Those are policies as well. We now have what are called our ends policies. Those are our goals. Because when I came on the goal board, there were no goals, <laughs> like none. For a billion-dollar organization, there were no goals. And and then we have what are called executive limitations. That's a whole that could we could talk about that for an hour. But the uh, we are now functioning like a a how a board and a CEO should or to the superintendent. You're going to see long term. I think the things that we're doing now from that that framework shift. You're going to see long-term shifts through D- that will last through DPS five to 10 years in the future. We're setting the district up for success. And whoever's on the board two, four, six years out, they'll have this framework to hit the ground running when they come on the board. I did not have that luxury. I came in drinking from a fire hose. And so that I feel that was my biggest contribution onto the board was getting working with my colleagues, in particular Dr. Olson, about getting the policy governance framework in place. Scott Balderman, our guest. So in that regard, uh, where I would disagree is when I see school board meetings that seem like they're almost kids in one of your schools having a food fight in the cafeteria. I don't know that that actually happens except on TV, but it seems like that attitude often happens. I mean, I remember being at one board meeting where the uh, civil rights activist Alberta Simmons called board to your faces a clown show in what was going on, which to me is is reaching that sort of a level of if you have somebody uh, like an Alberta Simmons at a board meeting getting so frustrated as to say this is a clown show and you have the kind of executive sessions and it's not a very flattering recording of five hours of an executive session or you have the um uh, the 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 personal personality squabbles that can go on and and different things like that where it seems like okay you're accomplishing some things but you're also constantly being derailed as a board where your meetings are are like i mean the food fight sort of dynamic um at, at times and so i Well, I can understand what you're saying as far as policy governance and straightening some of those things up because you definitely had dysfunction back then. I mean, it was uh, Mayor Hancock and Arne Duncan, the former uh, uh, U.S. Secretary of Education and others, sent letters to the district saying, you're dysfunctional, get it together back in, what, 2019-2020. So I agree with that. But I think the dysfunction has shaped itself a little bit different. Yeah, I, I I'm not going to disagree with you. It's what is makes me most sad over the last four years is there has been many great things the district has done, the board has done, and unfortunately, it had the interpersonal dynamics and certain behaviors. Not for me, have overshadowed a lot of that hard work that we've accomplished. Do you, though, as a member for four years, 
have any sort of I don't know, responsibility or bearing on how how the board goes. I mean, because it's seven people, you're one of the seven. Yeah, I'll I'll say I'd be interested in doubling the size of the board. Hmm. I think the size of the board is part of our problem. It's we're covering a large region. There's a lot on our plates. Uh, it's very easy for, as you, I should put it the other way, it would be harder for a, individual members to get too involved with operational decisions. For example, if you had 13 board members versus seven board members. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that, that's – it's – Sorry, repeat the question. Yeah, again. it was about responsibility, oh, responsibility. yourself right, as, right, right. as one of yeah. seven. I mean, and keep in mind, know. there are other school districts that have five. Like right. Jeffco, which is one of the lar- – I think the second largest school district has, has five. five. Yeah, members. and there's some school districts that probably have a couple hundred kids that also only have five. So we're a, we make up 10% of the entire state. But the – from a responsibility standpoint, I mean, you've watched board meetings. I'm probably – Charmaine Lindsay is probably the most quiet. I'm probably second most quiet. And, and I, my style is more to reach out to my board colleagues behind the scenes. I don't think confronting any behaviors in public is really going to improve, like, going to make a difference. I mean, we have two years ago, we had no policies around how we functioned as a board. Now we do. And I think that's helped tremendously. But, you know, to me, us, uh, the individual board members, we did not put ourselves in these positions. The people did. From an accountability standpoint, we are accountable to the voters, mm-hmm. to the community, and to the public. The the entity that should be holding individual board members accountable more than anybody is the public. Which is a perfect lead-in to your running for re-election. <laughs> Knowing that you've been on the board for four years with all these crazy dynamics that we're talking about, two-part question. One, why should they vote for you to continue for four more years? Number two, why the heck do you want to put yourself through this for four more years? (laughs) Yeah. If you lift the hood and look at my first term, you'll see how much I've accomplished, what I've advocated for what policies we've put in place, what work I've done with students. And that that's what really drives me. I, I love being on the Board of Education. As tense as it's been, uh, I've remained professional the whole time, kept my head down, maintained my composure, really focused on what do we want DPS to look like five, ten years into the future. That's really the role of the board. If we're de- If we're reacting to things that happen on a daily basis – that's not the role of the board. That's the role of the superintendent. My focus, especially the last two years, has been what do we want five, ten years to look like and and go from there. The you know, moving forward, and, and I these are many things I'm I'm I've been advocating for from day one is I want us to be a collaborative school district. I don't like the competition. And we gotta put some policies in place that are making sure to support the kids that are getting left behind. And you know, we have principals that are trying to keep their schools safe, trying to uh, run their buildings, yet we're asking them to push out marketing to recruit more kids. That, that's just not – That's I don't subscribe to that approach. I want every school in DPS, including our charter schools, 
I want our charters to be, to be successful, hands down. I want us to all be rowing in the same direction. Competition does not allow us to row in the same direction. We've got our ends policies now. We know what the goals we want to achieve are. I would love for our charter schools to come along with us mm-hmm. in that journey and be part of the team and focus on not competing with each other, not marketing with each other, marketing with each other. But how do we even lift enrollment within our charter schools when we have this declining enrollment problem we have? Mm-hmm. My my background, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, I've created business plans. That uh, Creating a business plan for DPS is really what we we have yeah. in place now. We need to achieve that. That's why I'm running again. I want to see that through and make sure those resources, we get maximum resources down to the kids in the school. Yeah, I think there's a, there, there's a lot there to be um, appreciated for sure. When you are talking about some of these dynamics, though, on the board, folks, I mean – I've been covering for a few years now. I'm not a long-standing DPS uh, columnist and and uh, radio host covering covering the district, but since um, late 2020, early 2021, I was uh, I've been really covering closely. And in that time, including some big issues that have happened, very controversial things, um, I have not seen until the last several months parents start multiple organizations. Um, that are saying we need more safety in schools. They want the whole board to resign. They want whatever it is. And we've seen a lot of parents rising up. So so to those parents who are concerned, who are looking at this board and saying, I want them all to just get the heck out of there so that we can move forward with new leadership as a district, you're running saying, actually, keep me in there. What is your pitch in what that is regard? my pitch? I really pay attention to how I have voted the last four years. Pay attention to the policies I've advocated for. Pay attention to my behavior and my demeanor in school boards, school board meetings. I mean, we look at us as individuals. Don't lump us together as a big group. Uh, I am committed to strong governance in, 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 in the school board. I think we are in a much better shape from a governance perspective and a board perspective than we were when I started four years ago. And that continuity, I understand. I really kind of the only true incumbent because I was the only uh, person running from 2019. So I've I've been I've seen from start to finish, and there is strong progress that has set the runway mm-hmm. for DPS really to take off. We're a billion dollar organization. Things can't happen; they just don't happen overnight. And actually, when they do, it creates more problems. Thoughtful, policy driven, forward thinking vision is what I'm about, and that's what uh, I'm going to continue to fight for, and that's what you can expect uh, when I get reelected next uh, second term. So you would say then, or what you're, what you're saying is, separate me out as an individual, look at me as an individual, not just a collective board that you have been a part of for four years that folks have gotten frustrated with. Yeah, yeah, and I would say do the same for Charmaine Lindsay. Uh, I did not vote for her when that vacancy was filled. I've been quite pleased with Charmaine's, how she's voted and how she's uh, uh, performed, in, or not, not performed, but it, uh, held her composure as well in the boardroom. Uh, Scott Balderman, we're just about out of time here. Um, you've been generous with it, sticking around uh, for an extra uh, segment that's almost 25 minutes. Um, and I want to ask you uh, one last thing, which is, 
where can folks go to learn more about you and your campaign? And a final word oh, for them. Thank you. Uh, the best place to find information on me is on the website. And the site is Scott, the number four schools. So scottforschools.org. And yeah, just look for your support. I, I think I, I wrapped up you know, my views on the school district. I want us to be collaborative. I want to lift lift up all kids in the district. And yeah, looking forward to more conversations. A lot more I wish we could get to, um, but alas, we must leave it there. I appreciate it, Scott Balderman. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a break. We've got a little more time on the other side. We've had text galore. We'll get to some of them um, and more as we continue on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. Welcome back. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. Really enjoying the show and, of course, the best damn bumper music known to man, 10 years running. 303-696-1971, our telephone number, a lot of texts to get into. Uh, really enjoyed my conversation with Scott Balderman. I found it really interesting talking with him about uh, issues of school choice, actually. I did not expect to get into that uh, for very long, we certainly have a bit of a clash of visions on that point. Um, I am a believer in funding students, not systems, that we should empower parents to make the decision for themselves, and that requires being able to have money follow the students, while at the same time providing for the resources and support for na traditional neighborhood schools. I'm for actual choice. There are some folks on the right who will say, well, we should just sort of 100% charterize the district and make them all charter schools. That's a good thing. It's not a very commonly said belief, but it's some have that. Uh, I don't think that's true school choice. True school choice includes having robust neighborhood schools while also supporting charter schools, uh, giving parents the opportunity to send their kids to private schools, what have you. And it is all about providing the best opportunity for kids. Let's go to some of these texts that we have received via the 710 KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town, if you wish to text in. One, they are grown, educated, in quotes, adults, and it's the public responsibility to keep them accountable. They cannot, at minimum, hold themselves accountable to rules of meetings and to focus on education and safety. How much money does this board control over the last 5, 10, 20, 40 years and kids fall under 50 percentile for shame? Well said. In a one-room schoolhouse, another text comes in. With all the different levels years ago, children learned to read, write, and do math, but not a lot of resources. This listener had texted asking, I would like to know. What this fellow, that would be Scott Balderman, defines as resources, and how does he know they're not fairly distributed? That would have been an interesting question. Our resources, textbooks are resources, newer drinking fountains. What does he mean? Also resources, air conditioning, so you don't close schools because they are overheated. This just means we could have a long time, spend a long time talking about a ton of different issues. Another listener, Mark in Weld County, educated in South Denver. Thank you for your name and town, sir. Jimmy, money following the student is not about your system. It's just good accounting. When schools reach a point where they compete for student enrollment in that structure, you might be able to call it about your system. 
Then correct. Oh, here's a corrected version. Well, that's close enough. I get your point. And I think our other listeners do as well. Another listener texting in, Jay from Louisville. Thanks for the initial in town. I taught in Montbello and all our kids wanted to go to East. They didn't have the means, RE transportation, parenting, or money. Options aren't there for everyone. I support it, school choice, I think, in concept, but the transportation infrastructure isn't there, and it isn't fair a fair choice to everyone. Cost and transportation are prohibitive setbacks for many. Agreed. It is not easy to have to take your kid to school every day. It is a challenge oftentimes to make that happen. But does that mean that the choice and the opportunity shouldn't be available for those who can or that you can't figure out a means of providing transportation one way or the other? To me, that does not negate the value of school choice because the the whole notion of school choice is about sending your kid to the school that best will meet their needs. And if you are low income, that's all the more reason to at least have the opportunity for a school with some public taxpayer dollars going to that school. In the case, for example, of funding for charter schools. And figure out the transportation issues, if possible, help them out with that. But providing parents who have with with the opportunity is the most important paramount thing nobody is going to care about a kid and how they are performing in school and what is happening in that school environment more than a parent they're the ones after all who are responsible for and raising their kids 303-696-1971 few minutes left in the segment let's go to joe in littleton good morning joe how are you Jimmy, um, I agree like 100% with you. I, I will say this. This is interesting to me because I was a teacher that would go into different classrooms mm-hmm. and pull kids. I could not tell you the amount of, to me, the difference is the teacher, not the resource. I would go into one classroom of kindergartners. Those kids were learning left and right. I'd go into another one. No. I'd go into a, a third, fourth grade class where they're learning timetables those kids were learning them quickly going to another one they weren't it's the teacher it's not the resources and i don't know how they're picking these teachers but that's what i've seen over i taught 39 years yeah well first of all thank you for for your teaching thank you for what you have done in uh, your teaching educational career that's a very long time and I think you're absolutely right that it comes down to the teachers and their training and their capabilities and how they're they're performing. But I will say to an extent, Joe, doesn't it have a little bit to do with resources in the sense that, for example, there are a lot, a lot of teachers who spend a heck of a lot of money so that they can even have tissues, pencils, all sorts of things like that in 
their classrooms and they have to provide that for themselves. But there's also the question of how much they're getting paid in some school districts. Although here's the interesting thing is that Douglas County Schools has a significantly lower initial and average pay rate than either DPS or Cherry Creek Schools. And they're outperforming uh, both of those districts. That is not an argument against funding the teachers more. I think we should pay teachers more. But I do think that when it comes to textbooks, when it comes to uh, classroom materials, when it comes to paying teachers and so forth, there at least is some element of a resources component to empower teachers to do the best job. Is there not? Looks like we have lost Joe. All right. Well, hey, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. I think I think you're right, uh, again, that it comes down to the teachers, but there is a point of providing the resources and, and so forth. You have, especially if you have individualized education plans where you're working with special needs kids, you got to meet those needs as well. Another listener text, Alexa in Littleton, I would strongly disagree that DPS is transparent, especially after what happened with Kurt Dennis. DPS did not want him to talk. Fair point about a principal who had blown the whistle. Uh, This is interesting comment. What I found noteworthy in the discussion with the board member, Scott Balderman, was his use of the term Latinx. There are so many instances where woke ideology has led to poor results for kids, and that's what we see in DPS. You know, that's a good point. Here's another observation about Latinx. And that is that essentially it is cultural appropriation because – If you see polls, it will show that only maybe 10 percent of Hispanics, Latinos, whatever you do want to call them, even have a a knowledge of Latinx, let alone want to use that term. To me, it is sort of cultural appropriation because I studied Spanish for years. And in Spanish speaking countries, that is how you group together people of the different genders. When you have a group of men and women together. They are Latinos or other terms that have O and A at the end. You group them, yes, with the masculine. And that is why you see polls in confusion. I think it is it is the worst thing, and it is actually driving a lot of Latinos into the arms of, of the right when they hear these kinds of things that show we're out of touch with with you. And how you're actually speaking, how you're actually approaching your community and so forth. It is the strangest thing to me. I think it was an interesting observation there. My final thought as we go to our break, my final thought on the interview with Scott Balderman uh, is, he, you know, kudos to him for coming on the show of, a, of a, a strong critic of the school board. But when we were getting into the issues, there really was a a clear vision there from him. And I encourage you to listen to it and really consider both his personal views and what he has done on the board and also consider the bigger the bigger context of the board as you make your decisions. If you're a Denver voter as to what is going to happen next or what you are going to do with your vote in the district. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll check in briefly with the man himself coming up from 9 to noon. Peter Boyles is in the house. Give it here. The Jimmy Sangenberger Show, 710 KNUS. Ah, the king of the blues. You know, the best album. They say it's live at the Regal. This is his best live album, B.B. King. But actually, it is live at Cook County Jail. And this tune, Worry Worry. Gotta love it. Oh, my goodness. This show has flown right on by, and we're in our last two minutes 
We got Peter Boyles here in studio. But real quick, Pete, how about the King of the Blues, BB? I mean, oh my god. The goodness. Blues Boy. <laughs> blues Boy King. My guitar's name was Lucy. Yep. And that story behind that yeah. is just a fun one. I threw it at the audience, they threw it back at me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um you've got some interesting topics coming up. Well, I wanted to get to some of this. We didn't have time on my show. Yeah. Um we're going to talk with about Jenna Ellis, the attorney for Donald Trump, who helped drive those lies, the false claims on 2020. Now is admitted in a Colorado disciplinary procedure that she misrepresented. In fact, she said at least 10 times she told lies about Donald Trump winning the election. Now, she's admitted. been recoed. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking off the air. Isn't it interesting what a RICO will do, but she's been uh, RICO'd in Georgia, Georgia RICO, along with Giuliani and Jenna and, of course, and Sidney Powell. Nineteen people have been RICO'd. She now has just totally rolled over on Donald Trump. Now, she was a darling of this radio station. I want to see her next appearance. Some some shows. Do do you want? Do you expect to see her reappear? Uh, I, I I don't know. I will not have her on. Well, it's not the point. Um, she Lauren, used to be a and, friend of mine. And then Lauren Bo- Boebert, um, again, telling lies in America. She, um, I don't know what now she's saying. I have her apology here, how it's been difficult and humbling. And we see her now, and uh, I had friends come, well, you just see her being let out. You really, they're making no, this we, up we see, her. And then we see the video well, of what you happened. And the the, that video. Was, I'll just say this. That was extremely disappointing. I'm very disappointed in that. But, Pete, um, who do you have on? Because we're just about out of time. Well, Dick's bottom's out of the box. But the really principal part of the show is Top 40 Radio. Mm. And uh, we're going to do two hours on Top 40 Radio. Were you ever raised around Top 40 or you too uh, uh, In the 90s, I mean, it was, but, you know, not. Uh, it's gone by then. It was different. Yeah. It was very different. There was technically Top 40, but it was a different style. So not, not like it used to be. Well, the real so, top forty and what happened and to what happened to top forty and yeah. uh, the people right. that, and I knew some of those guys. So oh, it'll be great! Yeah, be good Peter show. Boyle's show coming up nine to noon. Have a good one, and uh, I will be filling in for Deborah Flora on Friday, and I'm on standby in case Stefan needs me to pinch hit on uh, after that on Friday. So tune in then and Saturday morning next weekend. Have a great weekend. God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.